Chapter Three of That House I Bought by Henry Edward Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Third Period. I had always regarded the humorous paragraphs about the price of coal as mere pleasantries. I now deny that they are pleasantries, and they are far from mere. There are several grades of coal. Our furnace takes number three, and it's six dollars and sixty cents a ton, April price. The man who dominates the situation told me, by way of consolation, that if it hadn't been for the big strike, coal would be fifty cents a ton cheaper. I can't see how that sort of consolation helps a fellow. Our house burns about ten or twelve tons, normal conditions. We figured that about eight tons now would be the proper caper, and we could pay the difference next winter if driven to it. From the way the furnace ate coal to take the chill off the house the first day, I could see the board of charities asking me my name, address, age, social condition, and whether my parents ever went to jail. Now, $6.60 times 8 tons is $52.80, and that's more than taxes, water, rent, and interest on a house and lot. So when the man backed up with a cartload and began to throw it in off-handedly, I was pained. A coal-heaver should treat $52.80 with more respect. I have seen men throw high-grade ore out of the independence mine with the same callous indifference without myself being shocked. But here was a new situation. It was my fifty-two eighty he was throwing around like dirt, and I spoke to him about it. How, I said, can you have the heart to dump $52.80 into my cellar without ceremony? You should at least remove your hat. Do you know, I don't believe he appreciated the situation. William made the first fire. I instructed him to lay on the coal as scarcely as possible, and to go slow with the draughts. So he threw on six shovelfuls of my fifty-two eighty, opened everything, and ran it up to two hundred and four degrees Fahrenheit. Any man who sat ten minutes in our house and then dared to expose himself in a Turkish steam-room would freeze to death in ten seconds. We had a fire in the furnace two or three days. I got interested in A, a newly patented ash sifter, B, and a process for mixing ashes with some chemical solution that would restore a ton of coal for twenty-five cents. If you have never sifted ashes, you've missed something. You take a couple of shovelfuls of ashes and dump them in the sifter. Then you pick up the sifter and agitate it. If I were employing an ash sifter, I should get one addicted to chills and ague, or St. Vitus's dance, or something. Then I could be sure he wasn't loafing on the job. Well, after you've shivered the sifter, busted a suspender button, twisted your backbone into a pretzel, filled your eyes, ears, nose, and lungs with dust, and cussed your patron saint, you've got the net result. One piece of half-burned coal, six clinkers, and the top of a tin can. That chemical process to make coal out of ashes for a quarter of a ton is a good thing, for the inventor. With childlike confidence I bought a bottle of it. After ruining a barrel of perfectly good ashes and backsliding from the church of Martin Luther, I gave it up. Hereafter we will burn our coal as long as it will burn, and the ashes may go hang. 
I could have earned fifty dollars at my profession in the time I was trying to beat an honest coal dealer out of six dollars and sixty cents. Well, when we finally got the furnace working, I hopped into the shower bath. May good fortune attend the man who thought of putting a shower bath in that house I bought. The water comes from overhead for one thing, and shoots into the delighted legs of the languorous for another from the sides. It invigorates, cleanses, and tickles. Ballington Booth says man is regenerated by soup, soap, and salvation. But I would say, at first blush, that no man can get the full effect of regeneration on anything short of a shower-bath in his house. I began by reducing my costume to a pleasant frame of mind, and doing a few acrobatic stunts, deep breathing, setting up exercises, and various liver limberings. A free and easy perspiration set in. That, say all the doctors, is good for the system. Then I stepped blithely into the shower, drew the rubber curtain close, and, commending my soul to all the gods I could call to mind, took a long breath and turned her on. At first the water was icy cold, but as soon as that in the pipes had run out, I was violently assaulted by a steaming deluge straight from the bowels of Hades. Calmly removing the first layer of skin as it was boiled off, I reached for the spigot, and turned, as per directions, to the right. Instantly some one threw an iceberg into the tank, and at the first shower of Chilkukian damp I was converted into an icicle. Boiled to a color that would excite the envy of an ambitious lobster on one side, and frozen to a consistency that would inspire a harlequin block on the other, my emotions ran correspondingly hot and cold to a delirium of despair. As I found that no matter how I turned, I got either hot or cold, and never a happy medium. My wife, who was downstairs with the kitchen door shut, said she could hear my remarks distinctly, and added that she would have forever hung her head in shame had company been calling at the time. Women are too sensitive. It didn't occur to me until I had been cooked and uncooked a dozen times that this thing might be done from the outside just as well. I stepped out and manipulated with a broom handle, poking it behind the curtain, and jabbing, pushing, and pulling, hauling, twisting at those infernal mechanical devices, with an energy born of insanity. Finally, by some accident or other, I got the water just right, and stepped in again. It was delicious! Never was there such a grateful sense of appreciation as that I felt as I recovered my temper and went back to my beneficent gods. The water was not too cold, not too hot, then it stopped altogether. I looked up and around, tried all the vowels, hammered on the wall, then yelled to my wife, "'What's the matter with the water?' She replied cheerily, "'The man has come to fix the pipes in the furnace, and it's turned off.' With good things it were always thus. The minute a man really begins to enjoy life, it's time to die. There's always a fly in the custard. End of chapter 3